Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. Hello, listeners. Today we have a very special show with Summit of Lone Rider Brewing and Spirits. Summit is the founder and chief drinking officer over at Lone Rider. Yeah, such a cool job. CEO and chief drinking officer. Yeah, he's such a rock star, man. He's a lot of fun to talk to. Very honest and genuine. You can tell he cares about his staff. He cares about his company's culture and the role that they play here in Raleigh as a local craft beer and spirits providing jobs for the community, giving back to the community. Just a cool guy. Yeah, and his grasp on story and branding and, and a bit of the struggle and everything just is really present in this interview. We look forward to sharing it with you. Yeah, so let's get into it. Rock on. So this is the first question I want to ask. I'm so grateful that you chose to be on the podcast with us here. I was watching an article online that the city of Raleigh did, and I thought you had this great sentence that I just wanted to read to get it kicked off here. We're a West Texas-themed brewery making a German-style... How do you pronounce that? Hefeweizen? Hefeweizen. 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 Run by a guy from India, and that's that explains the diversity of what Raleigh is all about. I thought that was such a cool way to synopse what you guys are up to. Well, it's a, I think it's a good way to synopse Raleigh as well, yeah. because it is a, I'm fond of calling it a big little city yeah. where it has things you need, but it's, you always know each other. As you know, when you go downtown Raleigh, you pretty much know everybody. Yeah. So. And you guys just recently celebrated, how recently did you guys celebrate your 10 year anniversary? We turned 10 on January 23rd. That's awesome. Uh, this year. So this is our 10th year. We're just going to claim the entire year. Yeah. Nice. That's amazing. Well, congratulations. Year, so yeah. I, I can claim it. And you guys have been super successful. 57 awards. Uh, you've been ranked in the top 150 breweries in the country. You sold 12 million bottles and cans. And you've raised $750,000 for over 100 different local nonprofits. Yeah. That's awesome. Did you ever think it was going to get that big when you started? I, I'm just trying to brew beer one day at a time. <laughs> yes. It's uh, it's not about that. And I, I don't even consider it very large because, I mean, if you really look at the spectrum of what uh, the folks like Sam Adams and um, Sam Adams, Sierra Nevada, yeah. in Belgium have done, I mean, we're nothing compared to that. I mean, they do that in a year. <laughs> so uh, we are, we're learning. We're still, I would say we are, we're a kid that's learned how to crawl. Yeah. And is getting into shenanigans. <laughs> That's about it. That's awesome. So I would love to know a little bit about the the start of the organization. Like what I know from from doing a little bit of research that mm-hmm. it was it was a change of gears for you from working at a local tech company to do something that you're passionate about with a group of guys. So it, that's essentially it. Um that's the story I would say it's for most uh startups in the area too. Yeah. You usually, and look, we had good jobs. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like our jobs were miserable. Right. It was just a desire to do something that uh, we really wanted to do. And tech wasn't it at that point. Right. So how did you know that it was time to, to make the full-time switch? Like what did that season in your life look like? Oh, there's never a right time. Yeah. I, I think even if today, if we fast forward 10 years and the past 10 years, it was standing at the same moment today it still wouldn't be the right time. It's yeah. just stars are never going to align. 
Things are never going to be perfect. Things are just going to be perfect for you at the moment. And you just have to take a leap. Yeah. What do you think prevents a lot of people from taking the leap? I'm sure you've, you've, had, you've had a lot of conversations like this with people and they're like, oh, you've done it. You started something and you've grown something and you, yeah. you chased your passion and you're making a difference in your city. And they're thinking probably like you were a long time ago, like, I don't know when's the right time. I don't know. I The question that you asked before is exactly the question that stops people. Mm-hmm. I think we wait for the right time. Yeah. I think that's with most decisions we make in life. But to start a business, there's never a wrong time. It's just how prepared you are and what you're prepared to commit for it. Yeah. Do you think a lot of people, um, for you, was it was it an exciting thing? Were you like chasing after it and gung ho, or were you filled with like, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, all the fear of failure kind of statements? That no, the what if is still there. Yeah, it's still <laughs> there all the time. I don't think that ever goes away. I think what if keeps you honest. Yeah. Hmm. But think about this. If somebody wants to start a company today, in their mind, what is really stopping them? Right. Yeah. Unless it's like purely, hey, cash flow is a problem. Mm-hmm. I get it. Absolutely. Look for a way to solve it. But to start a company, all you have to do is go online, file a form. You will have a company in two days and you have numbers in seven days. Yeah. And you probably would have spent a couple of hundred dollars on it. And I think, God bless America. And I think a lot of people get all wrapped up in like, they think that their new endeavor has to instantly replace their income. And they forget that there's all kinds of levers that you can pull. You don't have to live the exact same lifestyle. You can change them. Yes. Like you control your budget. You don't have to have all the same overhead. If you really want to pursue your dreams, you can, you can change it up. You have that ability. Oh yeah. When we started, I, I didn't take salary for a very long time because I needed to make sure that the right. business was on solid footing before, uh, before I could. How long did you work like a full-time job and then while you were building the business? Oh, I, I quit fairly quickly. Oh, you uh, did? Within you did the six months or so. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Business couldn't afford it. Right on. Yeah. It's, so what is it about brew and beer that's got you so passionate about it? To me, brew and beer is about conversations. Right. It's as we were talking. About I was hoping other, you were going to say that because I think it is. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It is whenever you hang out with your friends, you know, you go, let's go grab a beer. Right. Whether, whatever form of libation that turns into, but the most common phrase is let's go grab a beer. Sure. And the reason I say it's about conversations is you have the best conversation with people. You really get to know them after the first pint, pint of the beer. Until that first pint, they're like, I don't know if I should say this or not. After the first pint, they go, well, I should be saying this right now. And you hear me. Yeah. And so I love that. at the brewery, like how fun was it to kind of see that start to happen? Because you guys opened up the brewery relatively quickly and had people coming in regularly. Yeah, we, we did. Um, I think conversations from that time and you make lasting friends as well. Yeah. Because once you start to have more honest conversations with people, then, you know, there's somebody out there that knows something about you. Yeah. And if you are happy talking to that person, I mean, we have people that have been coming to the brewery for 10 years and I appreciate all of them because they even help us at the tasting room. They're not looking for anything. They're just cool and they want to help. Yeah. Is it kind of become like their third place? Like it's their hangout? Well, yeah. I mean, everybody has one. Yeah. Yeah. So ours is called the hideout and, um, we, 
We have folks that uh, enjoy coming there every day. We have folks that come there one time and says, I want to be back again. And there are folks that go, oh, my God, why don't I live in Raleigh? But I'm sure there are folks that just don't tell us and go, well, I had a bad experience. And by the way, if anybody's listening who had one, please let us know because yeah. we can fix it. But we can't fix it if we don't know. Yeah. And you have plan. I know your location, the hideout, is such a cool spot. And it's sort of, would you say it's west, northwest Raleigh? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's start by the airport, yeah? Yeah. So um, it's right on the boundary of Raleigh and Durham. I see how you were there, and there's airplanes within, you know, you can see the brand name of the airplane or the company name of the airplane. It's like close enough to have this jet experience. Yeah, I call it aviation front property. Aviation front property. <laughs> yeah, so, so we we pay extra for it. Yeah. <laughs> you have vision to expand the local hideouts or continue to focus on the growth of the distribution. Um, our our company has limited capacity in brewing beer, and we can only make so much right now. So, our first attempt at creating what I call points of experience, like. The the person who's going to tell you the best about our beer, the story, the um, the flavors, the things that you should feel when you are drinking the beer is going to be the person that knows the most about it or has learned the most about it and can pass that knowledge on to you. So that happens at the hideouts first. Yeah. So our second one is opening in Lake Forest. It was supposed to be open this week. We're still working through some last things, but uh, hopefully this week or next week we could be open. And are you gonna are you gonna brew beer there as well, or is that more of a pool room? It's gonna have some really cool stuff coming soon. But in the first, we just want to start the process. Yeah, we want to do it in stages. There is, I don't know how much I can talk about it right now, but there is a cool concept coming in there in about ninety to one hundred twenty days. That's exciting, but. We'll just leave it as a teaser. Ah, I think that was best <laughs> because as soon as I say it, uh, uh, my team, especially uh, Chris, is going to just yell at me <laughs> and Tom, and they're going to stop saying stuff <laughs> that you don't know about getting on the air. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Well, that's it. Just leave it intriguing. Yeah, Open up a story bit. loop. Like, it's going to be awesome. You're yeah. going to love it. It's coming. Yeah. It's yeah. coming. It's going to be great. You're going to want to do it, but... I can't say nothing about it without Chris and Tom. So, so can we address the sort of the elephant in the room is the logo. I mean, it's such a cool logo. Yeah. When I first saw it, I was drawn to it. Growing up on a farm, yeah. and, you know, seeing old spaghetti westerns, Clint Eastwood. Is there any relationship with the Clint Eastwood silhouette or what's the story with the logo? When we trademarked it, we had to write, does not represent an actual person. <laughs> so, so, so no, it's not Clint Eastwood, Josh. No, it's Thanks. not. Eastwood. You're here, everyone. It's, yeah, and Clint, Clint Eastwood. Westwood. Yes. If you're here, <laughs> you need to come grab a beer with us. We would love to meet you. Well, yes, we make a beer called a beer with no name. You need to come drink a beer with no name. Oh, God, yeah. yes. For sure. Somebody yeah. this to Clint. <laughs> what inspired, like, what is it about the outlaw lifestyle that had you guys... I mean, I love your branding. It is awesome. Yes. What is it about the outlaw lifestyle that drew you guys to build like your image around it? You got that West Texas vibe. You're in, <laughs> in, Raleigh, in Raleigh and you're an Indian man. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's more about, you know, what I gravitated towards. Yeah. But also about what our team has. It's, if you meet, we have an amazing team. Mm -hmm. Like any person you meet at the brewery is just so passionate and happy about what they do. Yeah. It's, it's not to say that jobs are not tough. Jobs are tough. But they're all individuals. They walk with their own kind of swagger. Right. And that's what makes the outlaw work. Yeah. Hmm. And 
it's um, in terms of just the image and the representation, we found a, I mean, I really like watching spaghetti westerns. Yeah. Now, the first one I watched was My Name is Nobody. And that is a, a an old spaghetti western, but it's not Kanish but spaghetti western. Yeah. It ain't nice to shoot a man in the back. But then after that, she have to get into Kalindi's with spaghetti bastion, which right. are just amazing. And, and, and they hold up. Like they, they, hold, up. they hold up today. Like if you go watch like Fistful of Dollars, there's a bunch of them that you, if you got streaming, you can find plenty of oh, yeah. They're streaming right now. Oh, yeah. And he somehow carried that character even into his latest movie, The Mule. Uh, I don't know <laughs> I if he does it, but yeah, he is Gran Torino, The Mule. Like he just carries that. I love Green Torino. And it wasn't really a Western, but it was still it was felt like a Western. It still felt like a yeah. Western. It has the elements of it. Yeah, the outlaw nature of it. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that, um, I think you guys, the way that it sounds like your company started, like you left perfectly good jobs to do something mm-hmm. that you wanted to spend your time doing is kind of an outlaw kind of a move. Like, I'm going to live outside of the norm here. I mean, what you're doing in your basement is an outlaw kind of move. Yeah. Well, thanks. You yeah. are... You're essentially doing something that you really want to do and you're just making it happen. And that's yeah. why you came here? It wasn't my cologne? Uh, <laughs> I can't admit it on air. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to a book on tape this morning and it said something really interesting. It said that everybody's going to make mistakes, but are you going to make mistakes of ambition or mistakes of sloth? Nah, that's pretty cool. And if you make mistakes of ambition, then worst case scenario, you tried something. Mm-hmm. You you went for it. And normally that's where you really start to learn about yourself. And we've had other guests on and they always talk about like you learn the most from your mistakes. And I think what they mean is you learn the most from your mistakes of ambition. We're never proud of our mistakes. We're like, yep, I just watched TV all day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a mistake. Uh telling a great story over here. (laughs) (laughs) But I love like stories of mistakes of ambition. Like I went for it, but it didn't pan out. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have stories like that in your history? Like something that I tried, we went for it. It was a great idea. It sounded great on paper. And then when the rubber hit the road, we learned something new. Yeah. I'll probably make one today. Yeah. (laughs) Don't say that. Well, it happens all the time. It's, um, well, the next thing in the book was if you can double your rate of mistakes, you're going to grow fast. Michael Jordan taking a lot of shots kind of thing. Well, mistakes of ambition. Like you should schedule things in your life that are risky, that are ambitious kind of things. And you'll learn faster. I like that. That's That's a good name for a movie. Mistakes of ambition. That's a spaghetti Western right there (laughs) with, uh, <laughs> we should make that. Y'all, y'all got the necessary hardware for it, so you should go. For it. I love how you just dropped the word "y'all." <laughs> you are officially awesome. Somebody should. Be I like came a- from Delhi to Alabama. Oh, I didn't think I would have picked up y'all. How did that happen, Alabama? Because we love Alabama up in here. It's. Uh, it was where I went to school. Really? Yeah, University of Alabama at Birmingham. Oh my gosh! I was hoping you'd say Auburn. Oh, you, you were, uh, well, no, I just have friends who, I've actually friends from both schools. I know it's a huge rivalry. Did you get into it? Well, I, you didn't have a choice. Yeah. I had two cousins down there. One was an Auburn fan. One was an Alabama fan. Oh, so over dinner table, I would see him go, I like Auburn. I like Alabama. I didn't understand it at that time, but it took me a little while, but then yes. Yeah. It's huge. Right. Yeah. Did you oh, yeah. like, were you there in the Johnny Menzel era? Yeah. Did you get to party with him? No, I'm sure he was fun to party with. Yeah, I did not. I, I mean, I literally just worked and started my butt off. Well, of course, I had fun too, but did that. Yeah. Uh, what was your degree in? 
for computer science. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did my bachelor's there. I uh, did my master's in Atlanta. And that's came to Cisco to work at Cisco here. Wow. Atlanta. Yeah. Good. Well, very cool. Back to the back to the kind of the thread of the the mistake making there. Um, I want to ask you a very specific question because I'm always fascinated with this kind of stuff. I feel like people that have been successful, a huge part of their success is persistence and just going after it over and over again. I would really like it if you could tell me what did it look like the first time you approached a grocery chain store to ask if they would stock your beer? What did that what did that look like? That would be a bad example because they were really cool with us. Oh, yeah. So well, that's awesome. It actually worked out. Uh, they were amazing. It's um, the first grocery chain we talked to actually was Harris Teeter. And so how did you do that? You just call Harris because they're they're call. We said quarters. Yeah. We the call, local we Harris Teeters. They're no, it's in Charlotte. OK. Yeah. So, so their headquarters in Charlotte. OK. So went and met with a gentleman named Dad and he was the beer buyer at that time. I'm like, what is a beer buyer? It's. If you really get into how complex the system yeah. that gets the beer from supplier like us to in your hands, it's it's very, very complex at the moment. But I was like, yeah, we're we're gonna walk into that room. It's uh I think it was just uh, it's been so long ago. But met with Ed, sat down, I think about five, ten minutes later, it goes. Yeah, sure. That sounds like a good idea. We'll carry your beer. I'm like, one oh, meeting and done. Huh? Crap. Now I have to make it. <laughs> but he was so cool. He just, he made you feel welcome and easy. He made yeah. it seem like it was an easy conversation. I well, was, did he, did he sample your product? Was it? He couldn't. They usually don't sample the product. They won't let the, the beer room. buyer sample the product. That's an I interesting approach. A, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's uh they won't. I think it's more professionalism. Gotcha. So, because imagine if you're getting hit by 10 to 12 suppliers a day. Oh yeah. Your whole day, you're just drinking a beer with every uh, yeah. And you're like, Uber is going to become your life. Right. And at that time there was no Uber. And you'll be fired. <laughs> it was more to protect the life of the beer buyer. Or, yeah. Yeah. So like, how did the meeting go? Like, what was the pitch? The pitch was, I make beer. It looks cool. It drinks great. Would you, yeah. would you be open to carrying us in your stores? How much and of your guys' success do you think is attributed to a really strong brand? Like, Lone Rider is a strong, cool-looking product. Uh, I, I wish I had a way to um, measure that. Yeah. yeah, there are ways to measure it. I'm sure there is somebody out there going, "I know exactly how to manage and measure consumer product goods." Right. Um, either by surveys or tracking data, but to really eke out the fact that uh, it is just because of the brand, mm -hmm. it's tough. I think it's more because of the people. Because if the people represent the brand well, sure. it travels well. Yeah. If it doesn't matter if you put a cool image on a label, but nobody believes in it, nobody lives it, and nobody talks about it. Yeah. So I think brand is just more than an image. Brand is the ecosystem. Right. It represents, it should represent what it is. Yeah. And not just be cool on its own, but it's yeah. a representation of what is good about the product. I think that branding, if you boil it all the way down, like great brands represent the product really well. They're not just cool. Yeah. You uh, know, it, it doesn't work if they're just cool. No, it, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where somebody would buy the product because it looks cool the first time, but it doesn't, if it doesn't somehow, A, if the product is not great, mm -hmm. B, if it doesn't gel into their lifestyle, they will give up on it after a while. 
And that's uh, something that you have to create. Yeah. I met this lady the other time at the brewery and um, she has three tattoos of Lone Rider on her arm. Wow. Dang. What a compliment. Is her name Betty? Huh? <laughs> no. Her name is not Betty. She legally had it changed. I don't know. First name, Shotgun. <laughs> but no, she, she's really cool. And uh, her entire sleeve has uh, Betty, Happy Guy, and Josie on it. And they're really well done tattoos. And uh, she is a great lady. I did not know about that, but then I'm like, what made you do that? She's like, came here, visited, really liked the story, really liked the brand, got the tattoos, and I'm like, oh, that is very cool. What a story. That's an amazing thing that happens when people take what your brand is about and they make it their identity. Yeah. That's the sweet spot. That's when you feel like, whoa, this is working. Well, it's very humbling. Yeah. <laughs> so with the one gentleman, uh, met him at a beer fest and, uh, I was pouring him a beer. I was just standing behind pouring beers and he comes up and he's like, can I have a beer? And, uh, I looked at his hand on the back of his hand. He had a long run tattoo and I go, okay, just stop. <laughs> I said, you can come anytime <laughs> to the and get previews. I, I never saw the gentleman again, so I don't know, but, uh, but that was cool to see too. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I had a sticker on my motorcycle sidebox and I sold the motorcycle and I regret it. With, with a sticker on with the sidebox. With a sticker box. on the side of it. Some guy in the Blue Ridge Parkway was riding around sticker. a 99 BMW R1100RT with a long rider yellow badass decal on it. I want to search for it. <laughs> you find that? I'm going to buy it back from him. If you could, uh, be listening, just comment in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the whole tattoo thing. Have you like featured that? Like, you got to make some photos of that. Yeah. You know, punctuate that. Yeah, I mean it's um it's such a personal thing. Yeah, it's, so you know, uh, having a tattoo is such a personal thing. Yeah. I always appreciate, but I don't, uh, I don't promote just because of that. Yeah, you're such a graceful person. You know, like just knowing you yeah. a few times. Yeah, you have a generous heart. <laughs> I was telling Joe that earlier. Like, he's this guy's a cool guy, man. Well, speaking only, of that, only before ten a.m. <laughs> yeah, because I start drinking at about ten. Oh gosh. Speaking of that, I would love to hear like. Donating over seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to local nonprofits, what what inspires you to give back in that way? If I think being a part of the community right. is responsibility of an organization, I think it kind of just um, merged with the ethos that we have. Yeah, and we made our best efforts to support and promote mm-hmm. the the community organizations that are doing good in the community. Yeah. Because if the community is strong, it's going to take care of the businesses that are around it. Mm-hmm. And if the businesses are taken care of, then the business will take care of the community more. And it's a beautiful cycle. Yeah. And I'm not saying we didn't make mistakes. We made, at one point we were like, ah, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And sometimes we also find out that there's, that there are some organizations, there's a lot of good work to be done in the world. Yeah. You know, and, but as a business, we're still a for-profit business. Mm -hmm. So what we could do in our limited capacity, we did. And, um, we'll continue to do that. And we work with a lot of good organizations right now. Uh, like we work with the whole brothers foundation and they do a lot of good in the community. Is that whole brothers? Holt. Holt. Yeah. Okay. And, um, but again, we work with a ton of organizations like that. They're all doing good work. And I would say to anybody who listens, you know, even if you don't have to give money, just give them some of your time. 
to these organizations, they will appreciate a lot. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot. And I'm sure you could spare 15, 20 minutes out of your uh, month or 30 minutes out of your month to do that. Yeah. And I think when people, if you don't realize the value that it, you're giving back to your community, which is great and altruistic and you're being philanthropic and you're helping the community, but it does so much good for you. Like it, it really helps you out in a way too. So it's a win-win for everybody. Yes. Right? I think there's, it's not a selfishness thing, but man, you feel connected. And I think mm-hmm. that's what it's about. You feel connected to the community and mm-hmm. what's going on in the community. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of like, like outlaws. Like if you think of like spaghetti Westerns, you would think like outlaws would be bad for the city, but they're often riding in and fixing a problem. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> they're not doing it the way that you yeah. would expect, but they're coming in to help, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I'm sure they don't have the best of intentions at all the time. Not all of us do. Yeah. And, but uh, the end result is positive. And, yeah. you know, one of the philosophies of our company is affect change. So it's not, hey, stand by and don't let, you know, just watch uh, things happen. Actually right. step in and make positive change happen. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you can say, like, you know, hey, do nothing bad. To me, that's a very... Um, that's a very passive statement. Do nothing bad. What does that mean? I can sit on my porch and do nothing bad. Right. I'm probably doing something bad. You're going to exercising at that sleep. point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, do something positive and you see something bad happening. Yeah. That to me is a little bit more of what an outlaw means to be. Mm-hmm. Like, do something. Yeah. Step in. Do stuff. Yeah. That's what yeah, we're about. Right. <laughs> yeah. There you go, guys. So do stuff. Yeah. So I think there is. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the people, craft beer, the industry lends itself to have rabid, passionate followers. And I think it's because, my guess is, because it's it's about getting together around something and spending time in relationship. Do you think that the people in the craft brewing, are they, are they rabid fans? Do you find like they're super passionate about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. Look, craft beer industry, we can make beers till the cows come home. It's, we can do all we can. Mm-hmm. There's nobody that wants to drink it. What is the point? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, if, uh, the craft beer fans didn't do what they do today, there won't be the brewery system that exists yeah. today. It's all through the folks that really took it to, took up arms about it and said, I want diversity in beer i want more flavor don't be afraid of it i want things that are look mass-produced stuff has its place right there is you know there's nothing wrong with drinking it it's it's how we all grew up like when you were in college and there was no craft beer i mean you were drinking something it was not always a craft beer you can find it then yes what were you drinking joe so I was going to college to be a pastor, so I wasn't drinking. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so after you finished, I'm kidding. <laughs> you pasteurized. After you pasteurized. If you were pasteurized. Yeah. Well, I drank Gims for the record, guys. Yeah, I mean, Gims did red beer. But I was pulled towards something different. It was something different. At that time, Guinness was probably the different option. Yeah. And um, you would... I mean, I remember, I was just like, beer, okay, well, does it have alcohol? Let's just consume it. Um, because they're in Alabama. In Alabama. Yeah. When you went to the, your master's in Atlanta, there was a little more evolution in the beer world, right? Still not. Really? No, I mean, we're, the we're talking 2000s, huh? Those the 70s? That, I mean, it could have been 70s. <laughs> it felt like the 70s. <laughs> I wish it was 70s. But 
No, it was the craft beer was still not there. I mean, when we started here, there were forty breweries in the state. So I mean, think about it. that was ten years ago. Yeah, how many are there now? Three hundred and twenty active breweries. Holy like Christmas! Wow. So how are you guys at, at Lone Rider dealing with the influx of people in the craft beer industry? Like, how are you keeping yourself? What are you doing to differentiate yourself? Uh, that's a million dollar question. We try to focus on the brand mm-hmm. and uh, we try to focus on the product. We try to focus on the team. I think you can play your own song and, and if you play it right and you play it with passion, I think you're going to, you're going to make a difference. But if you try to play somebody else's game, yeah, if you called Michael Jordan tomorrow and said, Hey man, I, I need you to go play football. He'll be like, that's not a game I'm going to win. Yeah. But he knows basketball. Was there an urge to develop more and more new beers to stay ahead? There is that today too. Yeah. You just have to be really careful about what you, what you do. Um, the compliments that we get are guys, you have 12 beers on tap at your hideout. Every single one of them is fantastic. It may not be my style, but it's fantastic. So that's what we strive towards. So what has you guys, uh, I just learned this morning, actually, that you guys are doing spirits now. Yeah. So what's what's the story behind that? That sounds like an exciting new venture. Yeah, I don't think I punished my liver enough. Why don't we get into whiskey? You heard it here, folks. So you guys did a Kickstarter. So where's, where's that at right now? Yeah, um, Chris and I, we started that a while ago. We did a Kickstarter. Kickstarter was our attempt to raise the awareness mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of give cool stuff out in the beginning. And we had a successful Kickstarter. We raised the money that we were thinking we were going to raise there, which was really good to see. Right. And, um, now we are just in the mode of selling. We've made a product. We launched last, um, September, October timeframe. And we're really getting into the market now yeah. and seeing a lot of positive things for it. Where can you purchase Lone Rider whiskey right now? Uh, in any ABC store. In Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, we're in about 280 ABC stores in the yeah. state. And is it just whiskey or? Yes, it's bourbon, drinks? actually. It's bourbon. Yeah, and all bourbon is whiskey. So uh, it's bourbon and uh, it's finished on uh, sherry cast. Oh, my goodness. So how would you describe the flavor of it? I love bourbon. Just amazing. No, Just amazing. <laughs> Put it in your I mouth mean, and drink it. <laughs> I, I really think, um, here's what I would recommend. Go to the website and uh, read the tasting notes. Okay. The tasting notes will have what the bourbon actually tastes like. Okay. But in addition to that, you will actually find the philosophy besides those tasting notes and what it means and what that whiskey was designed for. So uh, the reason I'm not saying those right now is I just want you to read them and right. just smile when you read them and say, yeah. Oh, so you're being a little tongue in cheek there. Right. So we'll, we'll, put the, the, we'll put the link in the show. Yeah, yeah. What's the website anyway? Lone rider spirits.com. Lone rider spirits.com. Yeah. And what's the normal website? The brewery lone rider beer.com. Lone rider beer.com. So, um, is that, was that a long time dream for you to add spirits or was that a relatively new idea? I, I think I got into, uh, Whiskey, bourbon, like all kinds of whiskey, scotch whiskey, bourbon whiskey. Um, I really got into Japanese whiskeys. It's... Um, oh, I never had a Japanese whiskey. Oh, gosh. They're, they're pretty good. You haven't lived. Mm. Yeah, they're running out of that supply, so it's a little hard to find now. Mm. But 
they've made they did a very good representation of it. They took primarily Scotch whiskey and made it their own. And it, it tastes really good. But I got into whiskeys after I got into um, beer. Mm-hmm. So beer is, you know, always what got me started. But whiskey is where I ended up. The other reason for that was like I was um, looking for where the industry is. Yeah. Well, the spirits industry is at the same time, at the same place where 10 years ago beer was. Hmm. So what you're going to see over the next five to six years, the same kind of change. So you think a lot of yeah, absolutely. steering towards craft spirits. Yeah. I think that's going to become more and more important to people. Yeah. Hmm. I know I, I like to know the story of the product that I'm buying. Like if I'm in the grocery store and I'm in the beer aisle or mm-hmm. if I'm at ABC, like I am drawn to story. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are. And I think you guys do a great job of telling your company's story. And even just visually, like I know I've been at the at the Harris Teeter up the street before in the beer aisle, and you know you're just kind of like, oh, I'm looking for something new, trying something new. Yeah. And um, when when I say your guys' products, it's like that's really cool. And there's part of me that wants to be a cowboy. There's a part of me that wants to you know embody the outlaw kind of mentality. And it's like gotta try that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it story matters. Yeah. Um, I was um, forget who I was having the conversation with, but I talked about. You know, anything you do, you have to start with a story because you can forget a label, you can forget a brand, but you cannot forget a story. Yeah. It sticks with you, especially if it reminds you of something that exists in your life. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's crazy important. And I always like to say that marketing is storytelling. And I, and I believe that. And a big part of the reason I believe that is because it's it's teaching people how to memorize like stories help you memorize yeah. something it helps you internalize it helps it make it your own and that's such an important part of branding that i think a lot of people don't pay attention to yeah and songs are musical stories i see you got all the vinyl on your wall mm-hmm. so i'm sure you got a cool record player somewhere <laughs> but, right behind you I have a mediocre record player right behind you right, as long as you got the vinyls on the wall <laughs> They're good ones at that. So. They just remind me of the music, and then I just ask my smart speaker to play that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a lot of work to take the record down and put it in the player. That's oh, great. Right. But, it, but it's a very good ritual when you do that. It yeah. feels better. Than it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, I, I think you know, it sounds different too. I think yeah. in 15 years, people are going to be like, no, it doesn't. And yeah. by the way, I can say to Google and Alexa, go play something. That'll be just. And if you want to add those snap cracker pops in it, I can do that for you. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, make it sound like a vinyl place and she'll do it. Wow. So uh, what do you feel is some of the, what's a big lesson that you learned about beer? Oh, uh, that you, now that you're doing it professionally. (laughs) (laughs) I love you just say we're doing it. Yes, we're doing it professionally. Uh, Beer teaches you something new every day. I, even till today, there's so many changes happening in how, on the technology side, like when I say technology, I meant the hop technology, how we use hops, what mm-hmm. strains of hops are used, how are they processed, whether what kind of tools you use to improve the aroma of uh, the hops that you have, the hop harvest you go to that our team goes to. Um, I mean, holy crap, but just so much you can learn just in hops. Wow. Same with grains. And, it's changing. I mean, you have to struggle to keep up, but there's a lot of good stuff coming up. In the old ages, when we, only, we didn't even know about hops, we just knew about some herbs and spices that kept 
the beer fresh for a little while. But then we got into hops and that technology has continued to evolve. Um, so thing about beer is that it's a constant evolution. It's not stopping. It's going to continue to grow. Who knew that hazy IPAs were going to be a thing? Right. It's I'm still figuring out that it's a thing. Well, I know it's a thing, but it's just. Man, you just wonder if you could fast forward 10 years, what kind of beer is going to be popular yeah. that nobody knew? Do you have any beer with like pepper in it? No. We made we made uh, beers with jalapenos in them and yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean we've done all sorts of experiments. Can you call me when you do another one? Sure. Thanks. Okay. Call me <laughs> hot beer. You like hot beer? Well, cold beer, but spicy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a me- the Mexican in me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe that'll be the next big thing. Like yeah. Some kind of they'll come up with a cool name for a spicy beer. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean it's. There's so many breweries that make ghost pepper beers. It'd be cool if you do jalapenos. Mm. If you could do an homage to India beer, think about that. Yeah, there's so many amazing Indian people in this area, and you could do an homage to India beer with a spice, an Indian kick. Yeah, I mean, interesting, right? Yeah. Well, they already made the India pale ale for us. Uh, Oh, you already have that. No, 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 no. That's huge. Yes, I just totally. Yes, I just went right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, as I said, like the evolution in beer is constant. Yeah, you could do anything you want to beer. Should you? I don't know, but can you? Yes. Yeah. So experimentation, trial and error. Yeah, mistakes of ambition. Yeah. So yeah, we've made those. What have you learned about life in your lifetime, before and after Lone Rider? What's, what have you learned? The only thing I've learned is that I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> that I had to keep learning. The only thing, I mean, it's it's a cliche. I mean, the only thing constant is change. And that is very, very true. I'm not done learning it. I'm going to be a student for life. And it's, it's so funny that I think a lot of people's hang up with going and chasing their passion is that they got to wait till they know enough. When You're never going to know enough. You're never going to know mm. enough. And it, that shouldn't be the thing that stops you because it's actually the thing that's preventing you from learning. Because mm-hmm. you just don't, we learn by doing stuff, you know, like mistakes of ambition or just dumb mistakes. We learn from those too. That, yeah. It's, uh, look, I mean, it's when we are young, we think we know everything. Mm-hmm. When we start getting older, we're like, well, what were we thinking at that time? We absolutely didn't know anything. Yeah. And as you, Experience is a great teacher. And as long as you let not only yours, but others experience teach you, I say always keep your ears open. You don't have to take every advice, but you still have to learn to listen. We spend a lot of time talking and not enough listening. You've talked a lot about your your company culture and how you have fantastic people. Like I hear from other people as they get older, like you hit a certain age in your company and maybe it's more related to size, but some Mm -hmm. people feel a frustration when the the business or the nature of the business changes. Scaling. Yeah. Whether it's scaling up or your job changes or whatever, Mm -hmm. what do you guys do to protect your company culture? I think the best thing you can do to protect your company culture is just make sure you always keep people in mind. Look, not everybody is going to enjoy when a company changes. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's wrong. That just means that, it is what the company needs to go through. Mm-hmm. And when you when you change, when as we just talked about, only thing constant is change. Well, company is an organism too. It yeah. changes. As it grows, it learns. A company is a sum of its people. When people grow it, they learn. They get into different points in their life. You know, yeah. they get married, they move on, they have a kid. And you just 
move with that change. And the company is like the same way. And when the company changes as a whole, again, I said to some of its people, some folks will say, man, I love where the company's going. And some will say, well, you know, that's not really what I imagined. But if it is right as a sum of people for the company, then it's okay. Some will head out and go, hey, man, it was right, nice riding the trails with you, but my next journey lies elsewhere. Yeah. And that is perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. You should do that when you feel that way. But the company is going to go the direction that it needs to go to get to where it needs to be. Yeah. Man. What advice would you give to somebody that they might be like you were in a job they're not passionate about, but they know their passion is craft beer? Like, what's the first thing you would tell them to do? What do you wish you would have done first? I said take one step. Yeah. I mean, a journey starts with a single step. Yeah. Take that step, whatever that step is for you. What I recommend to people is you want to start writing a business plan? Okay, write the first line. Yeah. Yes, Tell me, what are you doing? And I recommend everybody keep an ideas notebook. Keep jotting down ideas. Never give up on that. I probably have 500 of them. But am I going to do all of them? No, can't. It's not feasible. But I enjoy the act of writing down the idea. Yeah. So anybody who is ever starting a business, take the first step. The first step may be writing the first paragraph of business plan for you. Or it may be you know what, I'm just going to go form a company and figure it out. Yeah. I don't, you know, think it through first, but, <laughs> you know, think twice, write once and then do it. But do something. Don't just wait for somebody to give you a full plan. Here's how you go do it. Yeah. It's, it's their plan. They learned it from somewhere else. You know, the plan that I would teach is going to be something I learned through the mentors that taught me. Right. So how did you, how did you find mentors in your life? I ask. You just ask. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, people you find are kind, but they're also very, um, they're also very protective of their time. As you get older, your time becomes the most valuable thing you have. Mm -hmm. So when you ask, be precise, uh, some of them will just do it for kindness and goodness of their heart, but you have to respect their time, their value for to ask until you ask the answer is no. Right. So. Hey man, that's good advice. We really appreciate you coming out here and sh- and spending time with us. Oh no, this yeah. was, this was good. Yeah. And next time we'll do it later in the evening over a beer. Well, yeah. Yes. Oh, well, I could be a panelist. Okay. I love your job title. It's uh, the chief drinking officer, CEO and chief drinking officer. That's awesome. Fun with that. So, yeah. It's just, you know, you do as much quality control unofficially as I do. That's got to be a lot of fun when people ask you what you do. They'll be like, ah, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't tell people anything when they first meet me. Oh, yeah? I only say it when uh, I enjoy the most when somebody's sitting right next to me and talks about the fact that we make great beer without knowing that I'm with the company. Yeah. yeah? And the reason for that is because the second they say it, is the second that everything our team works hard for is true. And that makes me happy. And after that, we can talk about, you know, hey, uh, I'm, I'm the lone rider, we make great beer. Yeah. But until that point, you know, if, if you tell somebody you're there, they're like, oh yeah, man, great beer. Even if they're like, no, it's not, it's terrible. <laughs> but, you know, unsolicited positivity. Yeah. Is cool. It's like, in the, it's getting to hear 
somebody else say how you feel so proud of your team and what your product is and what you got to bring into existence? I don't think I say this to them often enough, but I am. And uh, it's their hard work that gets us from here. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that.